Our scripture this morning comes from Genesis 42, verses 1 and 2, and then verses 12 through 24. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there, that we may live and not die. He said to them, No, it is the nakedness of the land that you have come to see. And they said, We, your servants, are twelve brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is no more. But Joseph said to them, It is as I said to you, you are spies. By this you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh you shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother while you remain confined that your words may be tested whether there is truth in you. Or else by the life of Pharaoh surely you are spies. And he put them all together in custody for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this, and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody. And let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your households, and bring your youngest brother to me. So your words will be verified, and you shall not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, In truth we are guilty concerning our brother, in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. Then he turned away from them and wept, and he returned to them and spoke to them. And he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. I just love this story of Joseph. So it was, it was an honor that DJ would even ask to give me a chance to give a message on it. So let's get into it. Moses, we know he is the author of the book of Genesis. He has us at this point in the life of Joseph. There's extreme famine. The end of chapter 41 says the famine was severe over all the earth. It wasn't uncommon for Egypt to have famine, but Canaan would be all right, or vice versa. They would have famine, Egypt would be good but at the same time was very rare. The situation was dire, but God provided a way for the people of the world to find salvation through the one that God had chosen at this point, Joseph. We already see God in his kindness, giving life to those that deserve his judgment in Egypt. But like it says in the book of Acts, he makes it rain on the just and the unjust. God's patience with humanity, his love for us, is a reason to praise him. But the famine leads us to the beginning of chapter 42 today. In verse 1, we read that Jacob learns in Egypt that they have grain for sale. 
and the family needs food. The sending of the sons is also recalled somewhere else in the book of Acts, where Stephen's about to be stoned in chapter 7, and he gives a recount of all of Israel's history, and he uses this exact same sentence. He quotes Genesis right on. And his point, why Joseph or Jacob sends his sons to go get food, was just the same point as this. And the point was that Joseph had a dream. And the dream was that one day his brothers would bow to him. That incensed the brothers. They were furious. They wanted to eradicate that. Stephen's point was the same. At the end, he says, you stiff-necked people, don't you get it? The word of God came to you, and you rejected it. And the same with Joseph. He got the dream from the Lord. He interprets the dream rightly, tells his brothers what's going to happen, and they reject it. The line kind of flows the same way. Let us not neglect what the Lord gives us. The word comes, and they receive it not. It's just like us. We are, by nature, enemies of God. We neglect his word. We reject his word. But yet, in his mercy, he gives us the gift of reconciliation to himself through his son, Jesus Christ. We also see in the beginning of chapter 42 is the work of God to reunite a family that is broken. They have been broken before Joseph was sold as a slave, but even more since Joseph was sold. The brothers were guilty. We know that for sure. They wanted Joseph gone. They did not accomplish the murder plans they had for him that day, but they did send him away. And it was just so in the plan of God to do this, to send him to Egypt. We know in the proverb it says, the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And we see this today. The famine is being used by God to reunite Joseph with his family. This is not coincidence. It's, it's not by chance or good fortune or whatever the phrase would be of the day. It is by the acts of our Almighty Father who makes all things work together for his glory and for our good. While we may not fully see it or understand it now, we will later as we reflect back on how we got where we are now, how he works all these things out. And for Joseph, this is no different. How, but in his mind, in Joseph's mind, he's struggling with something. The promised line of blessing should be going to him, but what happened? And I know, DJ, we're reading through the book, Vodi Bauckham's The Gospel of Many Colors, and Vodi says this about it. We keep telling people, oh, you can be like Joseph if you're faithful, but you can end up also in the wrong land, the wrong house, with the wrong father, wearing the wrong clothing, with the wrong name, and having the wrong wife. What sort of blessing is this? And his point is this. The blessing with the patriarchs was always in going to the land of Canaan and to the promised land. Not by means of being sold into slavery. Joseph's in the wrong place. He's in Egypt, but he should be back home. He's in Pharaoh's house, but he should be back with his father. He's given a signet ring and a robe, 
but he should be wearing the coat that Jacob gave him. He has a new name, but his name is Joseph. He should have a wife that should be from hand-picked from the family, but he has a priest who is not a follower of the living God. He married his daughter. It seems backwards. It's not much of a blessing in his mind. But we know that this is real life. This story isn't just a fabricated truth. We know that this is a real person, real time, real emotions. Joseph was betrayed, yes. Put in a cistern to die. Sold into slavery. So from Joseph's viewpoint, there's a massive amount of hurt and pain here. He's in Egypt where he didn't think he would be. He was expecting the blessing being with his father. But we see he gets over it a little bit. He lets it go. When you see last week we talked about the naming of the sons. Ephraim and Manasseh, that he moves on. And yet he keeps his Hebrew identity, even in the land of Egypt. Because the Lord was with him. God will use the worst of our times, and the best of our times really, to have us to rely on him, to trust him more. At the end of verse 1, this is my favorite as a father, where he says to his sons, why are you looking at one another? Go do something. I can't tell you how many times I've said to the kids, what are you looking at? What are you doing? I know my mother did the same thing to me when I was a young boy too. I'm sure she did. And if she were here, she'd probably testify to it a million times over. But the sons of Jacob were not young boys. They're grown men. The assumption is that they're at least 40 years old and older. I would argue that that's an age you can make a decision by the time you reach 40 years old. But Jacob steps up as the leader here, and in verse 2 he says, Hey, I hear there's grain in Egypt. Go and get it that we may live and not die. This is a simple a simple game for them at this point. Get grain and live. Do nothing and die. This life or death narrative is always presented throughout the scriptures. This one's a bit more physical. But we see in Deuteronomy, the Lord calls us to choose life. He lays out in Deuteronomy 30, 11 through 20, to choose life and follow his ways. Do not embrace death and evil. So the choosing a life for Jacob means someone has to go buy the grain. Who's going to be? The sons of Jacob are to go, all ten of them, minus Benjamin. So he has 11, but he sends 10. He keeps Benjamin because of the fear. What will happen to him when he hits the road? Will he, he is my last connection to Rachel, Jacob's favorite wife. Rachel is gone. Joseph is gone. Benjamin is left. There's no way he was letting Benjamin go. Do you think that causes conflict amongst the brothers? I'm pretty sure it did. They have in their minds, though, the brothers, what they did to Joseph all those years ago. Now, what did they do with the guilt that they had? What do we do with the guilt that we have? 
Did they repent of their actions, what they did to Joseph? Or did they just try to neglect it? Let's not talk about that right now. So we see the drama unfolding. The sons go to Egypt, and we see the providence of God at work. He uses the ordinary to bring about his plan. The famine is severe. Let me send you to your brother Joseph. Joseph, at this point in the reading, it says he's elevated to the position of governor. The word we see more is translated sultan, which fits more that culture. He is sultan over the whole land of Egypt. And in verse 6, you notice the great irony. The brothers arrive, and what do they do before Joseph? They bow. The very dream Joseph had is now fulfilled by his brothers doing the thing they said they would never do. It's a simple point to wrap up like this. God's plans cannot be thwarted. You can't change his plans. In Psalm 135, it says, Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth. Or in Psalm 2, we see the Lord looking down from heaven at man who was plotting an offense against him. We're not going to do the ways of the Lord. And what does the Lord do? He laughs at man. Or, if that's not enough, Jonah, given a command by God, and Jonah flees away, but yet the Lord sought after him. We cannot change the mind of God when he is set on what he's going to do. On the one hand, this is absolutely magnificent. How strong and mighty is our God? And on the other hand, how terrifying it is that when the Lord has set his plan, who are we? We cannot fight it. But we know this. He's not just terrifying, but he's terrifyingly great. That he, even though he is great, holy, almighty, strong, everywhere, he still loves and in his kindness gives us his son who lives the life we cannot, who dies the death we deserve, who rises from the dead and gives us new life in him. It's amazing. We see that God is constantly bringing salvation to the world. It's one of the big pictures of the Bible. How God constantly is bringing man back to himself. Giving salvation at every turn. In this case, he gave Joseph a dream. Store up food for the day of famine. And now the whole world is turning to the dream of God. Providing for the whole world. Giving them life. It's, it's great. God is unlike any of the other gods of that day. True of today. He is the same God who calls us to choose life and not die. So when we see his plan is set, we cannot change it. So then in verses 7 through 17, Joseph starts testing the brothers. He has some things. He recognizes them. They do not recognize him. And in that recognition, he wants to know a few things. Have the brothers changed their attitude? Have they grown up? Have they matured? Do they recognize their error? What about his father? Does Jacob live? How about Benjamin, his brother? Is Benjamin alive? 
He starts off the conversation. Where do you guys come from? They respond, and he challenges them. You are spies. You've come not for food, but to seek out the land. And they're like, no, no, no. We are honest men. And at that point, Joseph, if I were Joseph, I would have said, honest? What'd you tell dad when you threw me in the pit and then sold me into slavery? What'd you tell him? Honest men. You are not honest men. But Joseph has moved on from his hurt, like we said, in the naming of the two sons. He's moved on. He's grown up. So his response is, no, you are spies. And the brothers form a defense team. And they say, whoa, 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 we're sons of one man. And we have a younger brother back at the house. And he is with our father, but there is one brother that is no more. Joseph has already gotten an answer. It sounds like his father is alive and his brother is alive. At this point, he still does not give himself away. He says, by this you'll be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not go out from this place until your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother while the rest of you remain confined here so that your words may be tested whether there is truth in you or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. This will prove that the brothers are truthful about Benjamin being alive. And the only way they're going to get to be called innocent here is if they provide evidence of Benjamin in the flesh that he is alive and well. Three days go by. He, Joseph has put them in confinement for three days. And still, at the point of 18, in verse 18, Joseph lets them go, minus one has to stay. And they don't choose. They still had three days to decide, and the brothers can't make a decision. See a theme here? Father says, what are you looking around for? Go get some food. And here they're in jail for three days, and they can't make a decision. Okay, well, nine of us have to go back. Who wants to stay? Well, I don't want to stay. Well, I don't want to stay. Well, why don't you stay? And they can't decide. But they confess something. They don't choose anyone, but the confession is great. They say, truthfully, we are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. This is why distress has come upon us. We have admission of guilt here. This is a big step for the brothers. We know they have remorse over what they did. They see their guilt, and it's a bit of reaping what you sow. Joseph was not a silent victim that day. You hear how they said he pleaded to be freed, and they ignored his pleas. He showed distress on his face, and yet they shipped him away. Just put yourself in Joseph's shoes for a second and feel the rejection from all the siblings. And yet God was with him. So all the rejection that we could face, God is with us. What a relief. 
Reuben steps in here and says, didn't I tell you guys not to sin against that boy? But you didn't listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. And I think at this point, they have some knowledge of the story of Cain and Abel. You know, where Cain kills Abel and God tells Cain that Abel's blood cries to him from the ground. And I think that's in Reuben's head, a reckoning for his blood. Joseph knows the language. He hears them talking. There's an interpreter, but Joseph hears it. The language is not foreign to him. He turns away, leaves the room, and weeps. The emotions have welled up in him that his brothers show remorse. He comes back and speaks to him, the scripture says. We don't know what he says, but at the end, he just takes Simeon, binds him up before their eyes, and they, it's almost a repeat of what happened to Joseph before. Now the brothers get to see it done by someone else to one of their own. Where the brothers tied up Joseph and sent him away, now Joseph ties up one of the brothers and sends him away. It's similar. Now imagine the feelings of Simeon feeling regret over what happened to Joseph. Then Joseph gives these instructions. Fill the bags with grain, put money back in the bags, and send them on their way. Do you think Joseph is a foreshadowing of Christ as one who blesses his enemies, not curses, as one who loves his unlovable neighbor, as one who shows mercy, not judgment? Yes. This is, of course, an account that shows us a glimpse of what is to fully come one day in Jesus. The brothers see the gifts in the bags. They open their bags up and they see the money and they are shaking. They are trembling with fear and they say, what has God done to us here? They're convicted. And this feeling of conviction is good. Knowledge of sin is a good thing. When you know you are a sinner, you know you need someone to save you. And we need a Savior, and that Savior is not within me. We cannot look inside of us. We can't pull ourselves up by our own strength. We're called to look outside of us. Someone else did the work, namely Christ. That's the difference between the religions of the world and Christianity. The religions of the world say, if I do enough, I could gain God's favor. Christianity says, the favor is accomplished by my son, Christ. You cannot place your faith in him. You trust him. The work is done by him, not by you. It's a good thing to feel conviction. As they return and settle back at home, they tell Jacob of all the things that transpire, but they need to bring Benjamin back to Egypt to prove that they were honest. And also, mind you, Simeon is still in jail. He's still there in Egypt. So if, if they want more food and they want Simeon back, Benjamin must go. Jacob is not pleased. He wants to know, why did you tell them you had a brother? And they keep saying, well, they, he forced our hand. 
Then Jacob just laments, I lost Joseph. Now I lost Simeon, and you would have me lose Benjamin too? Jacob feels the world caving in on him. So Reuben offers a plea deal. It's a very weak plea deal, but he offers one at least. He says, take my two sons and kill them if I don't bring Benjamin back to you. Now imagine being a son of Reuben. Dad, you just offered me as a substitution for your poor decisions. We see now, Reuben, he has a little bit of a weakness as a leader. His failure to convince his father to send Benjamin to Egypt, it shows us who he is. And it shows us that Jacob still doesn't trust him. Which son will accomplish that task to convince their father? But what about Benjamin? Does Benjamin want to go? Does he want to go up to Egypt? We're not sure. But we can assume that he does not trust his brothers either. Look, Joseph went for a walk one day in Dothan and never came back. He's not sure what's going to happen with him. So Benjamin's probably a little leery of his brothers too. But if you keep going, which we will in the coming weeks, you'll see the beauty of God's plan, and it's not going to get thwarted. His plan is to bring the whole family back together again, to save the whole world through one man in Joseph at this point. The story is phenomenal, just to see how God works throughout all time to get to this point. All these things happen, not by coincidence. So what about for us? We know the best way to apply the scriptures to our lives is to always keep it in context. What is the scripture saying? Is there a lesson we can draw from this or not? I have three. We have more, but I only chose three. The first lesson is this. Do we let our sins that we committed in the past continue to haunt us in the present? Well, if so, we're like the brothers. We haven't fallen under conviction of our own sin. We can turn, repent to God, seek forgiveness. Jesus says this about forgiveness. He says, if you're at the altar and you're going to give your offering, but you have something against your brother and you remember it, leave your gift there and go. Be reconciled to your brother, then come back and offer your gift. Reconciliation is key. Let us do the same. Second, how do you respond to moral dilemmas? The brothers have a chance to be honest men confessing to Joseph about the money that's back in their bags. Remember, Joseph sent them off with money. They didn't know it until they got back home. And they see the money. Will they confess that, hey, Joseph, there was money in our bags. We saved it. We're going to give it back to you. That's not our money. Or will they just say, well, <laughs> bonus for us. That's a small little dilemma. But if you're faithful in the small things you'll be faithful in the larger things too. Because the larger questions are coming. What do you do 
When someone asks you your questions on, what's your view on this? What's your view on this? What about the culture that says to do this? What about when they embrace this? Or what about the big elephant in the room of sexuality? What's right? What's wrong? We can't play both sides. You play both sides, you end up ditching Christ. You will leave him on the side of the road in a heartbeat because the culture will keep pushing the envelope. The firmness in Christ, giving the message of hope to a dying world that doesn't know him. Lastly, do you see any change in yourself? Or can other people see change in you? You know, it says in Romans 12... Be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Do you have change in your life? Do you feel changed on the inside? It's one thing to admit that we have changed. I'm not who I once was. It's another thing for people around you to say, you know, there's something different about you today. You do seem different ever since you started attending church. Ever since you made that one confession the one night of Christ. You're different. We're biased of ourselves. We tend to forgive ourselves a whole lot easier than we forgive other people. Thank God for Christian spouses, friends, or even children to say, well, I don't think that was very nice, is what I hear from my daughter when I tell her she can't watch TV past bedtime. You get your criticisms all around, but you have to know which is good and which is bad. But thank God for the the calling of spouses to hold their spouse accountable. Like when Amber tells me I'm doing something wrong that doesn't seem to be right. While at the moment it's painful and I'm not happy about it, in the long run it's good. Thank God they call us out to help us live according to the call that we have in Christ. So we get to the end of chapter 42 of Genesis. Things are looking pretty bleak right now. Simeon's in jail. Jacob doesn't want to send Benjamin. There's still a famine. We need food. But as we keep going on, which we'll learn in the next couple of weeks, there is hope. The light is coming to overtake the darkness. So with that, let's pray. Father, you have given us your word, and in it you show us a better way. You show us today that although we are fragile and sinful, you are the great one that provides the way. You have shown again and again how you care for your people, especially your covenant people, and how you are leading us to grow in your truth. Thank you for the life of Joseph, that you would use him to lead many to yourself, and that he would be a foreshadowing of you sending your son, Jesus Christ, to bring salvation to us, and we desperately need you. Be with us. Apply these words to our lives so that we can serve you and share your words to a world that needs your life-giving message of hope. For it is in your Son's name we pray. Amen.